Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent a weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals and they're also leading when it comes to sustainability. From powering their events with cleaner energy to sending zero waste to landfill, they've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, brought in deposit return schemes for cups and trialled ideas like labelling the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They're also active in greening the music industry more broadly. They've signed up to Music Declares Emergencies pledges and they're a driving force within Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is the legendary Reading Festival, always the best lineup of the summer. It takes place at Richfield Avenue, Reading, from the 26th to the 28th of August 2022. Weekend tickets are already on sale, so head to readingfestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours. That's readingfestival.com forward slash tickets. So big up Festival Republic for their support and their essential work. They say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come. And that is something we can all get behind. Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. My name is Greg Cochran and I'm a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician with the band Savages and a co-founder of Music Declares Emergency. And this week we are talking about law and music and how they come together to form climate action. We're joined by James Thornton, an environmental lawyer and the founder of the hugely impactful organisation Client Earth. Yep, we hear about how via the support of musicians, they've literally closed coal fire plants, saved lives and helped the planet. And before we go, we'll also leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. Welcome, everyone. As you are no doubt aware, we are approaching a major crunch point. We are now very, very close to the UN's COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow. Faye, it all begins this weekend. By the time we speak on the next podcast, it will have started. It will be a couple of days in, in fact. How are you feeling right now, kind of ahead of all this? Because it does feel like there's huge momentum, lots of stuff happening in the media, lots of coverage, lots of headlines. Every day feels like a little bit of a a building momentum. So, so, so how are you feeling about everything that's to come over the next couple of weeks? Well, we've been doing loads of campaigns around it. And we actually released this amazing version of What a Wonderful World yesterday which is sort of a campaign around COP to just bring people's sort of emotional sense to what, what's at stake, really, um, rather than just mm. seeing it as a, a conference. So we've been super busy. It's kind of what I'd liken it to. It's like climate season is a bit like the Christmas season where you're so busy planning things that you don't stop and think about the real story of Christmas, which I feel mm. a little bit like about COP. It's like doing so much around it, so busy that it's like the actual seriousness of what's at stake and how precarious the situation is, I haven't been spending that much time thinking about it. And I, I feel like I'm heading up there for, you know, obviously not been invited to the actual conference, but um, we're doing loads <laughs> of stuff around it. And um, I'll be heading up there and I think it will probably 
the reality will hit probably when when the conclusions of that conference start to come out. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you are listening to this and you're interested in what's happening in Glasgow, but that you're not going to be there, just to explain a, a little bit more, basically the, the COP26 campus, um, so where this is all taking place, where all these meetings and conferences and discussions and, and everything else, is, is basically split into different zones. So there is a green zone, which is where the official programme of talks are happening. So the stuff that's open to the public, but it's it, it's ticketed, but it's open to the public. But if you're not going to be in Glasgow, there, there are ways that you can keep across what's going on. You can go to ukcop26.org. That's the official website. And all of the green zone events are listed on there and it's a really good way to basically stay connected with what's going on because the whole thing lasts like a fortnight so if you do want to kind of dip in and just see some of the discussions and the, and the people that are there and what's happening that's that's a really good place to, to keep up to date with it they also have an official youtube channel which is just cop 26 so they're going to be live streaming some of the stuff there so if you subscribe to that you'll be getting the updates outside of that tons and tons of fringe stuff lots of which we're going to be talking about here on the podcast in the coming weeks Faye, before we get into this chat that we've recorded with James Thornton from Client Earth, I just want to say big up to you for the Climate Music Blowout. That was the event put on by yourselves at Music Declares Emergency in London just over a week ago. Tell us a bit more about the day and the night. How did it go? What went down? It was it was brilliant. So basically, we had a conference during the day at a, an amazing venue called Earth Hackney. And we had loads of people from the music industry come down, a huge audience, actually. And I spoke to a panel of artists discussing what artists could do about climate issues. And we really sort of dug into some some really interesting stuff. One of the things to come out from a lot of the different panels at the conference was that a lot of the stuff that's driving waste in the music industry is the extra things musicians have to do to make money outside of their music. So creating tons of merch endless touring um all that sort of extra stuff is what is driving a lot of the waste so one of the sort of conclusions derived from a lot of the panels is that artists need to get paid more for their actual music so Mm. whether whose responsibility that is is it the consumer the dsps um the record labels i'm not gonna sort of come to that conclusion just now but definitely that would help a lot of a lot of the waste in the music industry but, you know, we talked about tons of different things. So, yeah, it was it was great. Really great day. And then we had a gig in the evening. And, oh, yeah. my goodness, it was so brilliant. We had Porridge Radio, Skinny Palembe, Steam Down and Black Country New Road, who played a one-off improv set with tons of extra musicians on stage. I mean, there's already a lot of them. Um, and they kind of did this, like, mad... I can't explain it. They'd put these numbers up and then they would do these different things, just doing this <laughs> abstract stuff. It was really, it, it was brilliant. And then, yeah, Steam Down as well were a really big highlight for me. Um, just their energy, just everything they brought to the room. It was just such a nice, such a nice event. So, yeah, thanks for being part of it. Greg was also hosting a panel, so... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was uh, yeah a real privilege to be part of the day, and, and I agree there was so much to come out of the discussions that I I saw and was part of. So I mean, obviously you're probably just recovering right now, but any thoughts about doing it, something similar again at, at some point? Again, yeah, I mean, we'd love to. <laughs> I, I just want to um, mention as well uh, the blowout idea and the concept came from this amazing design studio called Adapt. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're planning to do a different industry blowout each year. So this was their first one. It was a music, climate music blowout. So next year might be 
design or I don't know, like fashion industry. So yeah, I mean, we we would love to do that with them again. Um, love the concept. And also Bird on the Wire were part of putting on the show and stuff as well. So it was a real coming together. Whether we do the same thing again, we would love to, but it might be in a slightly different form next time. But yeah, the conference and the live show were brilliant. So for sure, we're going to repeat it. Fantastic. Well, yeah, congratulations to you and everybody that put it on. It was absolutely brilliant. Let's get on to introducing our guest this time on the podcast. We titled this episode Impact because James Thornton is an influential figure in the climate world. His work and that of his team has been changing lives and our planet for decades. You may well have heard of Client Earth, an organisation that we've mentioned many times, has come up many times on this podcast. They've had great support from the likes of Brian Eno and Coldplay. They're a non-profit law firm whose work has a great and possibly unexpected overlap with the music world. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded as part of this year's Digital Client Earth Summit and it was a pleasure to be part of that along with so many fascinating talks and speakers. It was wonderful to welcome James onto the podcast. Faye was, had a bit of a croaky voice for this one. Faye and I started by <laughs> asking him to introduce Client Earth to those who are still learning about what they do. So sure, Client Earth. Well, Client Earth is um, a global organization now, uh, and it's made up of uh, lawyers and others uh, working to use the really powerful tools that law provides you to deal with climate change and uh, other environmental issues. The ambition is easily stated, and uh, it's, it's a big one, which is to save civilization. And uh, I used to say that, and I then given that I live in Britain, I would have to slightly apologize for it, uh, <laughs> sounding grandiose, until David Attenborough started saying, uh, we need to save civilization. And then I said, ah, hallelujah, we can actually <laughs> talk on a daily basis about saving civilization, because that's what this is all about. So uh, if climate change just goes off in the direction it's going without a major shift in how we as a global society uh, do everything we do, then civilization uh, doesn't look that great. And you know, the uh, here's here's a link between art and uh, and civilization, which is very simple but very profound. And I got it actually from an art collector. I was meeting with him. He's a billionaire art collector. He wanted to talk about climate change. So thirty minutes in, uh, he said, "Okay, that's enough." And I thought, "Ah, I must have blown it." You know, thirty minutes. And he's telling me it's enough. And he said, "No, no, I get it. I completely get it. The light bulb went off." I'm going to give you a million dollars to get to know your charity because you're so vital. You say, what I love, so, okay, I, I, I run my business, but what I love is art. Uh, and I give all my philanthropy to art. And I just realized in this last, last half hour talking to you, no civilization, no art. So mm. I need to fund you to save civilization so I can have my art. So that's a really uh, one really profound way they're connected. And another way is that art does a lot to all of the different forms of art, from music, visual arts, writing, and so on, movies, to create what we think of as civilization. You know? um, so there's a dynamic uh, play back and forth. And at Client Earth, I mean, what we're doing is we're using law in a creative way. Most people don't think of law lawyers as being creative, and indeed much of law isn't, you know, uh, if you're buying a flat or something, you know, the, you'll be working with a lawyer that doesn't take a lot of creativity. But, but if, if you say, how do we use the rules of the game to change the game? How do we change mm -hmm. the rules of the game in order to make the outcomes save civilization rather than destroy civilization? That's, you think of it for, as a 
Well, you could think of it as a conceptual art project first, big conceptual art project, and then uh, then you have to act. So then it becomes you know an action project, uh, and that's kind of how we think about it. So we're always doing completely cool new stuff that no one else ever did, but using the law because the law is such a powerful thing. When we started out, we said, uh, okay, we only have like six people, but we're going to stop all new coal-fired power stations from being built in Europe, uh, everywhere in Europe, because coal is public enemy number one when it comes to climate. And we've essentially succeeded in doing that. So we have stopped around 50 coal-fired power stations, and now we're shutting down existing ones um, in Europe. Uh, and we've just uh, started doing that in Asia. Um, and that gives you one example. So coal, very big, uh, very big success. I mean, there are a lot of them. But another one that I'm very proud of, because it's so important for public health and for young, particularly kids, um, is working on air pollution. So uh, when I started out, nobody was working on air pollution in none of the environmental groups in the UK or across Europe. And so we started by bringing a case against the UK government because governments all across Europe were violating the law, allowing air pollution to be way higher than it was required to be. Mm. Uh, and we beat the uh, UK in its own Supreme Court and got the Supreme Court to order the government to comply. And that was the first injunction for the environment that the Supreme Court had ever given. And now, not that the government wanted to comply. Uh, we've had to go back twice to enforce it, but, w mm. but we're, we'll get there. And then we immediately start bringing cases uh, after that across Europe. So we've had uh, cases in around 20 European countries now uh, on cleaning up the air, uh, including in the heartland of the German motor industry. That's where we went immediately after winning in the UK. And uh, so we went to Stuttgart, Dusseldorf, Munich, Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, and we won. We won. <laughs> James, Client Earth has had a long history of support from members of the music community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, so so I started this work in the United States uh, in, uh, in 1979. I've been at it for a while. And I, I set up an office in LA and um, there it was the movie industry. So I started working with the arts, professional arts community uh, in, uh, a, a long time ago. And it was really a lot of fun working with the movie industry. And then when I came to the UK, um, I looked around and I said, well, actually music industry is much more important uh, in the culture than, than the movie industry is in, in the UK. So maybe I can meet some musicians. And through a wonderful friend who was a sculptor, uh, soon after I got here, she said, well, you know, I'd like you and your husband to come and have dinner with me and Brian Eno. And I said, wow, I've loved oh, I his music since <laughs> I was, you know, a kid. And, uh, mm. and um, so we, we did and we got along. And Brian became the first uh, of the musicians who got on board. And he was literally on board in the sense that he was one of the founding board members of Kleinberg mm. and still is. And then pretty soon after that, he said, well, you know, I've been working very closely with Coldplay. Um, and, um, you know, the uh, Coldplay guys are looking for an environmental group to support uh, because mm. this is now this is now 14 years ago or something mm. because mm. They're, um, they're really concerned and they want an environmental group as professional as they are in their music. So I think that's you, and why, why don't you come along to the studio? So I, I, I to meet the boys, as he put it, and uh, <laughs> I said, well, okay. So we went and we had sushi together, and that began a relationship that has also gone on since that time. So Phil Harvey, the creative director of uh, Coldplay, has been mm. on the board since then, and they've been fantastic supporters. So those are the two original ones. And then uh, two or three years ago now, um, 
I ran into an old friend at Brian Eno's, our cold Rosie Boycott. And Rosie, an amazing woman, who's uh, was the first woman to run a major newspaper in the UK, The Independent. And now she's in the House of Lords. She's now Baroness, our boycott. And she's amazing. And so I ran into her and she said, oh, let's have lunch. I just got in the House of Lords. So I went and we had lunch <laughs> We at the House of Lords. And she said, I'm working on this stuff. Can you help me on agriculture and all that? I said, sure. So two weeks later, I get a phone call from her saying, uh, James, you're going to get a call from David Gilmore 30 minutes from now. I said, okay. She said, take the call. I said, okay. So I, I, took, the, <laughs> I took the call. And uh, he said, hi, this is David Gilmore. And, you know, uh, my wife and I are looking to auction our collection, my collection of guitars, 120 mm. some guitars at Christie's. And we've been looking for a climate change charity to give the proceeds to, to help the fight against climate change. And from what I hear from my friends, uh, Client Earth is the best investment, uh, highest leverage. And then he said, which I'll always love him for, he said, uh, so I think we'll give you all the proceeds. Convince me that I'm not wrong. <laughs> I, I hope to use that line one day. Yeah. So, so we had this great conversation. Uh, the amazing thing about all these people uh, is that they're super smart. They're super committed. Uh, so working with them is a deep pleasure, you know, and then that began um, this relationship with David Gilmore and Polly. The result was that uh, he then made a, this is an ex excellent example for how people, uh, you know, music industry can do stuff. Instead of just having the sales go forward, the sale, the auction, he did a video, you know, playing guitar, singing a song that went viral. And then Christie's had said it was the auction was going to maybe generate $2 million. After it went viral, in which he says, we're going to give all the proceeds to client earth to stop climate change, people started, billionaires started bidding against each other for the guitars. And the, the whole set went for $21 million as a result. So, uh, so it's an amazing thing. You know, at mm. that year, that was our whole budget, you know. So yeah. that's changed the organization fundamentally, you know. It can feel a little bit like a leap starting this. We, we, we started this session talking about shutting down coal mining plants and then sort of moving on to, to music. And, and, and often those things feel very separate. But what you've given there is an absolute concrete example of how how one leads to the other. There's no, there is, you know, there is a direct consequence to that. So Dave Gilmore auctioning off his guitars probably did shut down a coal mine in Poland or something like that. Oh, no, more than one. I mean, quite a few. His uh, car carbon footprint is negative hundreds of millions of tons, you know, uh, <laughs> literally, yeah, literally, because it's quite a few coal plants. Uh, and then uh, in moving to the younger generation, a guy called uh, Kaius Pawson, who's the, uh, uh, the founder of Young uh, Records, uh, yeah. came, came to me uh, and said, I've been looking around, I want to support an environmental group to stop climate change. You know, uh, I've done all the analysis and Klein Earth is obviously the one, you know, mm -hmm. so this was a couple of years ago. And uh, we've been working very closely with Caius, who's another amazing, amazing person. And um, he put on an event, uh, well, before the COVID now, for me and Brian Eno to meet uh, over 100 people uh, in the music industry at the uh, Garden Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then he really helped convince people to donate. And Caius is responsible for more than a million dollars uh, in donations. So Caius too, I mean, that's, that's uh, several coal-fired power stations closing down as well. So um, this is uh, another example of somebody who is motivated to stop climate change. Who said, oh, how can I help you? And then came up with very practical ideas and is, is mm -hmm. 
he's a great idea generator. Much more will happen uh, with Caius and all these mm. people. Yeah. That's brilliant. And it's really, obviously, in, in the case of Dave Gilmore, it's, it was a huge financial asset that he had to sell off. But in, in the case of Caius, someone who's much um, younger in the music industry, it's really harnessing the influence. I think even if you're a really small artist and you've only got a few followers, you've still got huge influence with those followers. And so that's a really key thing that musicians and music can do to, to help this cause. Well, well, yes. I mean, if I can pick up that theme, I think influence is, uh, is enormously uh, important. And what we're trying to do is, uh, all of us who are concerned about, about climate change, is to get uh, this fantastic growth uh, in uh, understanding and opinion uh, among everybody on the planet that we just need to do this. And once you're there, then it's really easy. Then the Berlin Wall falls. Mm. You know, then we stop burning coal. You know, and how do you share that understanding? And it's a type of enlightenment. You know, uh, and uh, uh, art is among the very best ways uh, because artists, musicians in particular, are enormously influential with how people mm. think and how they behave. You know, you want to be like your favorite musicians. You want to kind of think like them. You want to do what you hear. It's a, an open creative space that allows things to emerge and allows you to become a more fluid, flexible, open person as the listener, as the participant. So uh, messages uh, can come through. And the, the there's a tremendous influence power. Um, and uh, it's an influence power that's uh, fueled by the by the energy, the creativity, and the heart of the people doing it. So it's so authentic as well. Uh, it mm. isn't just a politician giving a speech. You know, it's really heart-to-heart -heart work. Just recently, James, Client Earth has delved deeper into a, a relationship with music. You, uh, earlier this year, you launched the Playlist for Earth with some high-profile acts from Coldplay right through to Anna Kelvey, all, all making um, playlists on behalf of um, Client Earth. What was the objective with that? And why, why did you choose uh, music as the medium to try and reach people with that urgent message? The, the objective uh, was, was two, really. I mean, one was to have fun because, uh, you know, you don't want to just be gloomy all the time. Uh, and art should be fun as well as, uh, you know, it's not just propaganda. So um, uh, good propaganda, don't knock it, but, uh, but, but the idea was to have fun. And this was a, a clever PR person from New York came to us, and uh, like, uh, like so many of these creative people do, and said, you know, I have this idea. We could get a lot of people making up playlists. And the idea of the playlist was that, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have whatever it was, say 15 songs, and the, uh, uh, the first word or first letter in the songs told you a story, and a story ideally about climate change. And then people had a lot of fun. I mean, these, uh, the different artists did very different things, uh, and all of them very clever in, in different ways. So it was, it was really interesting. And then, and, and then you hear their music because they put in songs that they liked. So you're going into their, they curated sounds that they like to hear, with uh, with a cute thing of a message coming up with uh, with the the song title, and we had hundreds of thousands of people uh, hear this uh, and tune in, and so we got much much broader uh, communication on social media uh, about Klein Earth and its message than we would have gotten. So creativity equals audience equals message, uh, and it really boosted our our visibility. How should the music world? contribute to large-scale climate action do you think what, what are the best and, and there's no sort of pun intended in this what is the best instruments for doing that because mu music can um, obviously be a powerful voice like we've already discussed but in terms of the music how can the music world contribute to large-scale change 
I had a great conversation uh, recently with Robin, the uh, singer and songwriter from Sweden, uh, whose work I admire. And we were talking about this and uh, she was saying, you know, it's not easy to make a song about climate change, you know? And I said, I'm sure that's true. So the, the question is, uh, how, uh, if you wanted to make songs themselves that raise the issue, you know, how do you do it? And, you know, it's not a preachy song probably, although, you know, in the sixties there were preachy songs about Vietnam that actually worked very well, you know, and, uh, mm. uh, and Blown in the Wind was, was a popular song, you know, about nuclear stuff. So it is possible, but, uh, uh, but how, how do you use that creative space to communicate a message? And I think the answer to that would vary with every single artist. Because if you connect with the feeling, then you express it in a different way. And there are t two entirely different ways you might experiment with the feeling. One is that with the, uh, the, you know, the despair. Uh, people feel despair, uh, and you, you, it could be cathartic to hear about that. But the thing that is less done uh, in movies, books, and everywhere, music, uh, is the positive vision. Uh, because I truly believe we can build a, an ecological civilization. Uh, we absolutely can. You know, if we want to do this, we can do it. And we understand everything we need to understand in order to do it. So uh, how do we help each other uh, into imagining uh, the beautiful world in which we do it right? You know, uh, and uh, there could be an anthem for doing it right. There could mm -hmm. be a thousand different anthems for getting it right, you know, and having a beautiful future. Uh, and that, so that's another thing uh, to explore. There are other mundane considerations, but it's I, what I'm fascinated by uh, in your question is how do we uh, in, encourage really creative people to to have the well, the, the courage to think that way, whether it's despair or or positivity. And these days, I sometimes think the most radical act that we can do is to imagine a positive future and to share that with others. It's a radical thing to do. People need to feel positive enough to even start creating that art because I think we are in quite a, a dark moment where a lot of people feel very despairing. Um, but the more positivity that's shared, it's almost like you're, you know, it's that airy fairy thing of manifesting. You manifest the thing that you want to exist and you're much more likely to create that if you're thinking about it and channeling your energy into it rather than if you're constantly reiterating negative stories and negative thought patterns and all of those things. I think it's a huge area of positivity that we need to fill. Absolutely. Manifesting it is the thing. It's mm. not airy fairy. It's how I live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, James, the, the climate crisis can be framed in lots of different ways. Culture is something we love. We love films. We love art. We love music. Is it useful to explain to people who are not active or not as engaged that their their favourite festival or their favourite sporting or event or their favourite museum or something might actually be under threat from uh, things like extreme weather or you mentioned earlier pollution? The effects of the climate and ecological emergency are very, very tangible and they, and they do affect the things we love. So is it useful to explain to those people that are less engaged through the prism of culture, so through the music they love? Like these are the things that you stand to lose if we don't act mm -hmm. now. Is that an important way to help explain it or to help uh, motivate people? Well, I think that's a very good idea. I mean, why not? You know, uh, if you if you tie it to something that they care about. Um, you know, at, at a certain point uh, when the temperature is high enough, uh, outdoor events won't be possible anymore. You know, um, mm -hmm. it'll it'll hit um, uh, another another huge cultural event, religious cultural event is is the Hajj, the the great mm -hmm. pilgrimage. Uh, if you're Islamic, uh, it's the thing you want to do in your life, and 
you know, within the foreseeable future, uh, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula will just be too hot to allow that to happen in the summer because you'll mm-hmm. cook. Once once you hit a, what's called a wet bulb temperature of 35 degrees centigrade, so it's a combination of heat and humidity, you know, you people can't be outdoors uh, more mm-hmm. than a short time without ultimately collapsing and dying. It will start there, and that will hit the rice basket of China, and it will hit a lot of places. But um, but also outdoor events will be will become too hot uh, it, to enjoy, let alone uh, mm. kill you. You know, so uh, so these these things are very real, and they're also very present because already this summer I've kind of watched on with a mixture of horror and sadness of seeing British festivals being hit by extreme weather and yeah. people mm. desperately trying to get out of tents or car parks or or you know that that's that's no way to finish what should be the highlight of your summer so it's very real this is not again something you know i'm sure that you you often make this point but this is not something in an imagined future this is all very real and happening now yeah very much so and uh what people may not understand if they're not hip to climate change is that you know it wasn't just a flash flood that was uh, either caused or exacerbated by climate change so um so if we want glastonbury it's always muddy but if we want it to keep existing we have to uh, stop climate change that's for sure a question about um, uh, collaboration, James, that I had. I mean, what lessons do you think that other communities or industries can take from music? Because music in its very essence is collaborative, whether that's mm-hmm. writing a song with another person, collaborating with a producer, you know, working with a different body or platform to get your music out there. It, it, it's, it's basically all collaboration. That's what so much of music is. So what can other areas, even law or, or, or other parts of climate action, learn from music's collaborative spirit, do you think? Well, the collaborative spirit is key. I mean, if we're going to come up with a positive future, uh, we're going to have to uh, do it together. And uh, that's the only way to get there. Uh, and that's the fun part about it, because it's, it's creative and collaborative. And collaboration breeds collaboration. I mean, it may surprise you, but lawyers are actually very good at collaboration. Lawyers like to collaborate. And we work now with well, well over 200 uh, different environmental groups uh, all over the world. And we support lots, lots more than that. But we have these deep partnerships with about 200. So we're, we're collaborating all the time because we're, it's very clear to us we can only get things done that way. And just this morning, I was reading an article which really interested me about the German Greens, the Green Party. And the German Greens were pretty ideological uh, for a long time. Um, they kind of started very ideological. And uh, in the last year or so, the woman who is now running for chancellor uh, has started to speak a lot to people running businesses. The article was saying, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that unless we all do this together and collaborate on this, it's not going to work. So what I want to do is to find the businesses that she said that uh, are, want to do the right thing. And uh, what they taught me is they need actually to make money. They're not standing against it. There are tons who want to do it, but they need the rules to change so that they can do it and still make money for their shareholders. And I said, gee, to myself, that's really interesting that the gal who's the head of the Greens is saying this because it's, it's a big shift in their focus. And she's now wanting to collaborate uh, with the most progressive elements uh, in business in Germany. And that gave me great hope. So, uh, uh, so your, your point on collaboration is, is right. And people sometimes ask me, why do I work in China? You know, uh, because you only hear negative things about China and the West. And they're doing great things for environment. But, uh, but the basic answer is this collaboration answer, which is climate change is so serious and nature loss too. They're both so serious that I'm very happy to work with anyone who's serious about stopping climate change. You know, we can be friends on that thing and then we can disagree on other things. But on that, there can only be friendship. 
how, how does the music uh, community benefit from a world that's saved from the worst consequences of, of climate destruction do you think what you described there is you know nature's seemingly endless ability to inspire us to make fantastic art so mm -hmm. the, the good the better health that nature is in potentially the better art that's created is that fair well uh, or, or the more opportunity you have to make art i think mm -hmm. as well you know uh because if uh if the planet really heats up and there are millions of people uh without food and there are millions of people migrating because we've just let it all heat up uh life isn't going to be very good for anybody i write poetry so i'll still write poetry and musicians will still make music but mm -hmm. it'll be a, a very different circumstance in that video thing that i mentioned that, that david gilmore did he said uh we need to stop climate change so we can have a future in which guitars can be played and songs can be sung mm -hmm. and i thought that it, that's absolutely perfect you know artists will always struggle to say something but it'll be a such a nicer opportunity to to make art and and share positive things if we start now. I always think of the analogy as well as the violinists on the Titanic or the string quartet on the Titanic playing as it went down. At the point we're at, is if the analogy keeps going, then That's right. you would probably do everything you could to save the Titanic. Absolutely. You were on it, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Hard starboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a, a practical question to ask you, James, about the, 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 the worlds of... Um, climate and, and music yeah. uh, obviously just recently we've seen examples of client earth taking legal action against well-known companies like just eat and carnival cruise ships for having little or no environmental company policy how important do you think it is that companies have robust and authentic and long-term strategies when it comes to their own uh, effects on, on on the world would you ever take action against the music company if they if you felt that they weren't taking this sufficiently seriously well let me start at the end i can't imagine suing musicians. But, uh, but yes, every company uh, needs to um, very much take its, its obligations uh, on climate change seriously. And the only way that we're going to uh, get this right is if companies start doing that as soon as possible. And then we get the laws changed so that all listed companies are required to do it. So all sizable companies are, are required to do it. And indeed, our view of the law is that you need now to be disclosing if you're Just Eat or Carnival or many other companies that we've taken action against, that you need to be disclosing what uh, your impacts are now. And the reason is well, the law requires it, but why does the law require it? That's so that uh, citizens and shareholders can see what your company is actually doing. Because, uh, you know, say a pension fund, uh, an awful lot of people have money in pension funds. And unless the people managing the pension fund money can see what the companies are doing that they're investing in, they can't tell whether the investment they're making for the pension fund people, you know, the individuals, are going to help the world or hurt the world by the time the 22-year-old person in a pension fund is 65 years old. Mm -hmm. So that disclosure is really, really required. And, and they weren't doing it, Justine and Carnival. So we said, you know, you must disclose. Um, but beyond that, uh, companies, and here it's not the music industry, uh, the music industry's footprint is relatively small, but you have very conscious people like Coldplay uh, saying, how do we make our, our touring the best it can be? Uh, you know, what about producing CDs? You know, what about this? What about that? Uh, how do we reduce the, the amount of, of carbon we use? Um, and that's a great thing. And it's a great thing in itself because it's being responsible. It's a great thing because it then gives the example uh, that 
famous people like musicians can do. Yeah. But the the really big changes need to be made by companies like uh, like BP and Exxon and producers of steel and cement and you know that's where the all the carbon is. Uh, and then w- what we need to get is a regime in which. Like the Paris Agreement for cu- countries uh, requires countries to come up with a plan to reduce their carbon. Uh, now the understanding is to net zero by 2050, and companies need to do the same thing. And it should be a lot less than it should be a lot quicker than 20, 2050. Uh, and there's no legal requirement uh, yet to have that plan, and there's no enforceable mechanism uh, to do that. And we're working hard on making uh, making that happen because. Uh, if you think about it, Shell, BP, these are the ones that are producing, uh, and all these other very large companies producing most of the carbon. And uh, you need to make them responsible for their own emissions, but then also the emissions of their products. So that BP needs to be uh, made, for example, responsible for the emissions of the drivers of the cars that use its petrol which is happening and will happen and they will be required to do it, which then does two things. It moves them out of the oil business into renewable energy business. If they're smart, they'll do it fast. And then it moves car companies, as we're beginning to see, uh, away from making petrol uh, into making electric cars. All of this is happening to some degree, but needs to happen a lot faster. And uh, for companies, the rules need to change so that they can become enforceable. And then the good companies uh, have cover to do what they want, and the bad companies get sued. A couple of questions before before we have to, to leave things, James. We're, we're sort of speaking now with the backdrop of a really important couple of months, an enormous amount of activity happening right now in the run-up to COP26 in November in Glasgow. How much emphasis do you put on that event? How significant is that? And, and, and how do you sum up what that event is going to mean, do you think? Well, it's enormously important because it's the world getting together uh, five years after the Paris Agreement on climate to, in theory, uh, make uh, much deeper commitments and really agree on how they, all countries, uh, can get on a path to net zero carbon so that uh, we can begin to see that we'll not get the warming, which will happen if we don't do that. So it's very, very important. I live in hope but we don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. the British government has not been um, uh, overly uh, energetic uh, about uh, about working on it. The, the current government is, uh, it's a bad pun, but often talks quite a lot of hot air uh, when it comes to the environment. The current government cut its foreign aid substantially just a few months ago, so aid to developing countries. Now, why is that important? Why is it connected? Well, the developing countries uh, need tremendous financial help from the rich countries in order to do what they need to do, to build renewable energy and so on. And they need that even more now that there's been COVID because their economies were hurt by COVID uh, more than the economies of, of rich countries. The rich countries have promised $100 billion, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, which hasn't been delivered to the developing countries. So the developing countries quite reasonably are coming into this COP saying, you know, what he expects us to do. A lot of them are very eager to do cool things, but how can we do cool things if we're broke, you know? And if you keep promising us money, but not delivering, you know, where are we going to go? So so those are the things coming into the COP uh, that are raising questions. All countries are also really focused on the fact that we need to do something now. Uh, the consciousness about what needs to be done is tremendously higher than it ever was for, for the reasons you were saying, Greg. I mean, every, everyone has been watching that fires, the floods, 
the hurricanes and the typhoons, and this is global, it's everywhere. People are aware mm-hmm. of that. People finally say it's hitting me, even in rich countries. So there's much greater consciousness. And if it all comes together in the right way, we could see something that is uh, dramatically positive. And that's what I'm hoping for. And this, this might be a really tricky question, but what would a good, in a simplified way, what would a good outcome of COP26 look like? Well, in a, in a really uh, in a really straightforward way, uh, I always think that uh, anything good can be spoken in simple terms, right? Uh, if it's too complicated, you know, then it's, uh, you haven't thought about it enough. I, th- I think what we want to see is um, much uh, more serious commitments uh, from the major carbon emitters to cutting uh, their emissions. And then we want to see uh, very, very genuine uh, financial commitments from the rich countries to the developing mm-hmm. world. And that's not charity. I mean, that's not being nice. You know, that's that's actually investing in your own future and the future of your own children. If you're the UK or the US or mm-hmm. France or, you know, if you're a rich country, um, you must invest in this. And if you get the combination of the much steeper commitments and then much greater basket of income uh, to do this for the developing world, wow, that will be a great cop. <laughs> 100 billion is obviously a lot of money but it's not also it's not like that much money it's it's an no. amount of money you can imagine so it it, yeah. it must be very possible would that be a suitable amount of money at this stage and, and in what sort of length of time would that be investment? no no that's just a down payment i mean and okay. and certainly the west can do that i mean we need uh oh it's more like five trillion a year invested in this stuff um okay. And, uh, and that's quite possible. I mean, that's about the amount of money we subsidize the uh, fossil fuel industry with. If you shifted oh, that okay. from fossil fuel subsidies to uh, being uh, sensible about uh, climate change, you know, the world would shift. Um, mm-hmm. The fossil fuel companies wouldn't like it. There are a lot of vested interests, but it's not like the money isn't there, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the EU just uh, decided it was going, it's a good thing to push up the economy of the EU, it was going to uh, inject 750 billion uh, into the economy. So that's as a compared to 100 billion. Um, mm. And uh, so the, the 100 billion is in global terms, not much. You know, the, to get started. To get started. And, mm. and it needs to be repeated and repeated and repeated. Now you can't spend 5 trillion immediately, but what you can do is, you know, come on, pony up the money and start mm. spending it, ramp up the programs. Uh, mm. in the developing world and also the developed world. You know, ramp up the research, ramp up the building of renewables. And to some degree, in its own uh, jurisdiction, the United States is doing that. So Trump was uh, obviously a nut in many ways, uh, and climate change was one of them. And Biden came in and said, we're going to have a, a three and a half trillion uh, infrastructure program of mm. quite a bit of that money, although some of it is not labeled climate money for political reasons. Quite a bit of it is good when it comes to climate, because there's a lot that goes into renewable energy, charging stations for electric cars, and so on. Mm -hmm. So the US is actually internally, if they get that through, going to be spending a lot. And, you know, that's, that's the beginning of where we need to go. One final question, James, on on a music tip. Your job, your life must be incredibly busy, hectic, intense. Um, So when when, when you get back home after a, a hard day in court or, or wherever you might have been what music do you put on to relax how do you how do you just give your mind that necessary relaxation that you need to to re-energize and go again on all of this stuff well what i do every day actually is is i play the violin uh and um mm. i've been obsessed for the last three years or more uh with uh, a violin transcription of the the bach cello suites 
I just love them. I just love them. And uh, I play them every day. Uh, just before uh, getting on uh, with you here, I, I played a jig from the first cello suite. It's a dance tune. And uh, I, that's, that's what I do. Uh, and then I, we listen to lots of music. I mean, we listen to classical music and pop and rock. And uh, the, the one we've just been listening to, which is kind of nature related, is a piece by John Luther Adams, an American composer, and mm -hmm. uh, who's I like a lot. Uh, we like a lot. And uh, there's one uh, called The Song of the Canyon Wren. Um, and the Canyon Wren, bird from the southwest of the United States, that I, I know has a very haunting call, which you can hear in these desert canyons from mm. miles away. And uh, this is his uh, kind of impression, but also homage uh, to that bird and that nature experience. So I've been, I've been playing it until I uh, actually drove my husband nuts. Uh, <laughs> <with it. laughs> well, if we do this, if we do this again, will you promise to bring the violin? Maybe we could, uh, maybe we could hear sure. something. <laughs> We would love to hear what you made of that conversation. You can drop us a message. We're on Instagram at Sounds Like a Plan Podcast, and we've also got old-fashioned email. Uh, we're Sounds Like a Plan Podcast at Gmail dot com. Faye, your your reflections on that conversation that we, we we had with James. What did you make of what he had to say? Well, I think James is brilliant, and he's just such a calming spirit, and but also radical as well. He's very radical person and I love the part when we're starting to I was going a bit woo woo and talking about manifesting he was like I live by that and it's sort of um really nice and life-affirming to hear that coming from such a sort of incredibly intelligent and very very highly respected lawyer so um thanks James glad we're on the same page with that but um yeah as well it's I'd I'd almost sort of forgotten that their original sort of chunk of money came from Dave Gilmore selling his guitars and donating it to Client Earth. So that link between music and something that usually music and law is never a good story, but it's uh, in this case, it's a really, really great sort of coming together of two completely different practices with a shared goal. So yeah, really, really interesting. What was interesting to me was that, that the fact that like Client Earth's name, it, as I've been kind of getting to know this subject the last few years, is like one of those ones that just keeps coming up because it's kind of seen as an organization that if you know people want to get out there and support kind of tangible action in this area and and client earth's just a, a real magnet for that because their work really has gone out and made enormous change like saved lives by the, the, the work that they've been doing so lots of people have been attracted towards them and so it's no surprise to hear the likes of Brian Eno and Coldplay and Dave Gilmore kind of gravitate towards them because they really want to participate in, in sort of solid change. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've stopped coal-fired power stations being built in Europe for the last 10 years. I mean, you can't really, you can't really question that. It's, it's just really tangible. And when you, I think also because, um, because the, the, the spirit in which James carries himself, it's very... Um, it's very sort of spiritual and it's not just this like dude in a suit being like, right, we're going to use the law. Okay. Mm. It's, it's more, it's deeper than that. It really is. And it's, I think that really attracts musicians as well in a lot of ways. L loads of parallels with the conversation that we shared with Brian Eno on this podcast a few weeks ago as well, just in the sort of pragmatic way and sort of calming way that he spoke. And also just the fact that he very much wanted to emphasize um, this idea of selling a positive future. Like obviously his 
a lot of his work is kind of going after the bad guys, right? Just to sort of prevent stuff. But really what he wanted to big up was this idea of presenting a more positive future that people want to buy into and participate in. That was kind of reflected, you know, he talked about music in that respect. He, he mentioned Robin. She'd kind of expressed the difficulty in writing a song about climate action. And off the back of that, James mentioned he would like to see more art created that basically portrays what the other side of a brighter future might look like. You know, he's mentioned what does a climate protest anthem sound like on this podcast before and and how there possibly aren't that many of them out there maybe that's just the fact that it's really really difficult to to write that kind of music i don't know you're definitely in a position better than i to kind of comment on that well it's interesting actually they there didn't used to be many songs about climate change but now there's quite a lot of um a lot of instrumental music, a lot of non-verbal music that has been created around the climate issue. So I think it is something that maybe does lend itself more to something that is, if you think of a sort of um, a beautiful landscape, you imagine it with like instrumental music, don't you? So there's something mm. about the earth and instrumental music that does go together. You can write about climate in so many different ways. It's it just it's all about sort of the language and what almost like it doesn't say the words climate change but it's like disguised in there in in certain interesting language that it's expressing those ideas so yeah it's it's not over it's not that sort of climate anthem Mm. thing that people I think are looking for but also I am a bit of a believer that the idea of an anthem comes from this really sort of hierarchical thing Mm. you know it's hierarchical structure and the solutions to climate are not built within those structures so perhaps that's why the climate anthem isn't something that people are channeling in a way maybe it's coming sort of more from the underground and more from like lots and lots of different areas rather than a big sort of hands in the air moment yeah i think i think that's fascinating hearing you say that of this there's many more kind of layers to it that are sort of maybe subconsciously connecting together to to weave that overall picture one final thing i i mean i had to ask james the question of whether client earth would ever go after a music organization that wasn't taking sustainability seriously he said that 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 that's certainly not their intention at the moment because they're you know too busy shutting coal fire plants which is obviously a much bigger kind of contributor but interesting to hear him say that you know they're basically their client is is us their client is 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 the earth so like you know it's really they're these sort of um yeah law custodians on making sure that people and organizations take this stuff as seriously as it needs to be taken so really 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 great to hear him say that yeah and you're just straightforward using the laws that are there already you know and and helping to sort of push for for new laws and new sort of case law etc so great stuff isn't it greg it is yeah it is and and i i don't know like i've heard him say previously that such a great way of describing what law is is basically laws are the rules we put in place that when we look back on societies that's how we wanted to run our societies and what we thought was okay to do and not okay to do it's basically a history of how our societies were shaped so we we need to see laws changing in the kind of short term to to manage a lot of the kind of situation that we find ourselves in so yeah fascinating time to be speaking to him about it should we get some recommendations Faye? What have you got for us this week on the podcast? Well, I'm just going to completely contradict myself because I said you couldn't really write a climate anthem. And this song wasn't written as a climate anthem originally, um, but it was written as a, I think I want to say the word ode, like a really, like a, a love song to nature and humanity and to love, which is Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. Mm. Music Declares Emergency has just released yesterday a version of this, and it's been arranged by an amazing choral arranger called Mark Delissa, who worked on Meghan and Harry's wedding, which is really cool. (laughs) Um, And he created a, a great arrangement for us, which was then sung by the Kingdom Choir 
and the Brit School, kids from the Brit School, and an amazing film that's gone with it. And it's we released it yesterday. And what's going to happen is that on the 30th of October, choirs all around the country are going to get together and sing this version of the song with protecting the planet and climate in mind because it's music can really help connect your emotions to the sort of severity of the situation. And I think we've felt that it is sometimes quite hard to connect emotionally to a, a UN conference. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, totally. It's like using the power of music and lyrics and this incredible song to really sort of bring those things together and, and bring people together around it. So what my recommendation is, is go to YouTube and find the track. It will be, if you search Music Declares Emergency, What a Wonderful World, Kingdom Choir. It's streaming on DSPs and also... Um, get involved Liverpool Glasgow and London on the 30th of October 2021 there will be people gathering to sing this song you've got a few days if you hear this on the day it comes out you've got a few days to get involved and you can go to singthechange.org for more info on that we also have a a, a thing on singthechange.org a thing I don't know what it's called that's why I said thing but <laughs> a thing basically where you can go in and write a letter to your MP about climate we've drafted the letter you can add the bits you want and type in your postcode and it will go to your MP so get involved uh, singthechange.org yeah get on that sign the letter stream the track and share it with everyone you know because it's pretty not even heartwarming it's like a combination between heartwarming and like definitely will make you cry if you have <laughs> any soul <Heart. laughs> yeah. yeah if you have a heart i can't wait to check it out because i know you've been working on this for, for for ages and it's um yeah really really excited to to see this my choice this week, we've mentioned various apps and useful things in this slot before, but my recommendation is actually for a service this week. I'm traveling to Glasgow from London for COP26 very soon, actually going as a family. So going with my wife and uh, our little boy, who's one years old, and I'm going to drive in an EV, my first EV experience. So I'm pretty excited. That's an electric vehicle for people who don't know the lingo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully down with the lingo now. I'm one of those. Um, I'm using Onto, who are an EV subscription service, so where you can basically do a short-term ev lease like month to month if you were like you were using netflix or something personally don't own a car i don't particularly want to own one and we didn't really want to do a lease that ties you in for sometimes like a few years so this is really flexible and they bring you the car they change the vehicle depending on what trip you're doing and things like that and it was all really easy to set up insurance and breakdown and like even the charging and things like that are all included so you probably end up saving money by using it only when you need to so um so yeah check them out their website is on dot two and i'll stick a link in the show notes as well so um and so far it's been amazing and the fact that i get to go to cop using sort of zero emissions transport is exactly what i want to be doing so um i'll let you know how i get on greg how do you spell on to i want to note it down now so yeah, their website is literally on two, so on dot to. Um, yeah, it's really great. I mean, my experience with it so far is just brilliant, and it's just really exciting. I mean, I know that like EVs to buy are really expensive; it's not really something obtainable for us as a family. But this kind of thing for when we know that we're going to be doing a big trip is exactly kind of what we need when public transport wasn't so much of an option because we're traveling with so much stuff for our little boy. So um, yeah, it's exciting to to try and do that. 
All that's left is uh, for us to say thank you again to James Thornton, uh, our guest on this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. We've loved having you with us. We will be back with you very soon. As I said right at the top, lots of COP26 stuff happening on Sounds Like a Plan in the coming weeks. Um, So yeah, great to have you with us and we look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Thank you for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. The podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. Parts of this episode were also recorded at Pirate Studios, Tottenham, London. Pirate offer a range of affordable and modern recording and rehearsal spaces at more than 25 locations across the UK. They're also open 24-7. So for more info or to book a studio, hit the link in our show notes. This episode has been edited by Mighty Moon Media and the artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com. Until next time we're together, thanks for listening.